Josh. I look forward to having everybody's stuff in uh, my front yard. Uh, it'll be good. Uh, everybody having a good weekend? Yeah. Good? Okay, you guys are totally not selling it. Like, you having a good weekend? Yes? Okay, all right. That's maybe a little bit better. Uh, how many people are looking forward to this week? Okay, <laughs> I was like, oh man. Oh, man. Okay, so to encourage participation, right, I want to just, I, I want to take a little survey of our church, okay? Uh, tomorrow is Monday. Uh, for those who need a refresher on your days, hopefully you got that because you're here today. Uh, tomorrow's Monday. I don't know what that does for you, if that brings up certain feelings or if that, uh, does some sort of uh, emotional response uh, for you, knowing that tomorrow's Monday, the start of another week. I don't know, that's between you and the Lord. But I'm going to ask everybody, I mean, I mean everybody except for the babies, you guys don't have to do this, uh, to just as a, our survey, I'm going to put, put one to five up in your hand, one being you are absolutely dreading Monday, the, the news that tomorrow's Monday might be the worst news you could have received all day, uh, up to five where you're like, dude, I live for Mondays. Like, I cannot wait that tomorrow's Monday, all right? So just out of curiosity, everyone's going to do it, okay? On three, everyone put your number up, okay? One, two, three, go. Okay, okay, hold on. Keep it up. Keep it up. I'm curious. I'm curious. Okay, there are not many fives, all right? Just going to throw that out there. Lots of threes, some fours. That's good. Okay, okay. Thank you, guys. I very much appreciate uh, your participation. We're going to be turning that data into uh, a research agency that's going to help us uh, understand how much people look forward to Mondays. Now, uh, what would be interesting is if we were to talk a little bit about, like, okay, why? You know, like, you, some of you had, like, a one that you put up, and it was a lot of, like, the kids who are going to school tomorrow. They're like, this, no, we're not looking forward to that. Uh, lots of fours, couple fives, you know, but like, why, why did you put that number up? Why does that represent you? You know, as we get into another uh, week of work, another week of going to school, uh, we have many opportunities that are ahead of us. And what we're going to be talking about uh, today, what the scriptures address is, well, how are we going to go about engaging with that? What, what does Monday morning look like for you when you go to school? Uh, what does Monday morning look like for you as you prepare to go to work and start another a week of work? Well, Ephesians 6 is going to help uh, hopefully draw out some principles uh, for us as we we do that. But as we approach the scriptures, inevitably what, what happens is there's certain times where we are reminded uh, very blatantly that the Bible was not written to 21st century Americans. All right, And the passage that we're going to be talking through today is one of those passages that at face value we're like, this clearly wasn't written to us, right? It was written to real people in a real place and a real point in history, and they had real circumstances that they were dealing with. And so uh, we're going to have to do some work to understand a little bit of that world uh, before we can bring application of this passage to our lives today, because there's not a true one-to-one -one kind of uh, translation to this passage uh, from or from the first century to the 21st century. Lots has happened, lots has changed, we, we're living in a different time and a different kind of culture. Uh, it was easier to do some of these things when we're talking about how do we uh, do relationships in the church. 
How do we engage with culture around us? Uh, as we talked about marriage and parenting, because uh, by and large, those are things that we still deal with today. They, they may look a little bit different. There may be some nuanced changes, but uh, by and large, we're still addressing those things. Those are still part of our lives. But the passage we're going to deal with this morning, it speaks to social classes and economic classes that aren't part of our 21st century American life. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't matter to us. We know uh, that the scripture is that all the scriptures are breathed out by God, this is 2 Timothy, that they're breathed out by God and profitable to us for teaching, for correction, training in righteousness, so that we might be complete and equipped for every good work. So we're not going to dismiss Ephesians 6, 5 through 9 and say, well, it's talking about or two people that we don't really connect with. Uh, those classes don't really apply to us. We're going to do the work to figure out how that's going to apply so we might do it appropriately. So Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. If you have your Bible, please do uh, look there with me this morning. Paul writes this. He's coming off of talking to parents, children, obey your parents. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then he goes into today's passage. Bond servants, or some translations say slaves, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free." Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So right away, uh, we're confronted in verse 5 with this word bondservant or slave. And this is where we're, Paul just throws it at us. So we are to deal with uh, what is he talking about? we got to make sense of, of these classes, if you will, or these groups of people, slaves and masters. And many of us, if not all of us, when we come to this concept of slaves and masters and slavery, we probably come to it with some preconceptions of one of two things. All right? Number one, most of us probably think in our heads back to our nation's history of slavery. And that brings with it certain thoughts, certain presuppositions, certain uh, ideas that must be what Paul's talking about. Another one that is pretty popular that we probably think about is Israel's slavery in Egypt, if you're going with a little bit of that, that biblical background. So those are probably two of the contexts that uh, we come to this topic and immediately our brains just think those. And we come to ideas of those, uh, and each of them have some similarities. They're, they're similar to each other in that both of those were defined by great cruelty, uh, we would agree on that. You could define those as, as cruel circumstances. They both involved uh, some level of ethnic or racial bias, and they had little to no rights that were given to those who were enslaved. Egyptian uh, slavery over uh, Israel and American slavery in our history. Uh, so we come with some of those ideas, yet the unfortunate reality is that slavery has been woven into the fabric of human history almost entirely throughout history, right? But it hasn't always looked the exact same. Sometimes it has had a different face to it, if you will. For instance, if we were to understand and do the hard work of knowing what 
the Roman context was in the first century that Paul is speaking to, it would help us to understand what he's actually talking about. What's he calling these Christians to do? So in the Roman context, uh, unlike the slavery in our nation's history, unlike the Israelites, um, the Roman slavery was not fundamentally driven by race at all. Now, before you're saying, okay, all right, maybe that's a good thing, the reality is that People from all different places found themselves as slaves in Rome. So I don't know that that's better. I don't know that it's worse. It may just be equally horrible as it is, but it's different than the, the, the context that we often think about. Most of those people became slaves when Rome was going on their conquests of the world, expanding their borders, and, and their hometowns or their home nations would have been conquered by Rome. And they would have been taken away as, as prisoners of war, and they would be sold into slavery. Secondly, this Roman context of slavery wasn't defined by cruelty. It doesn't mean that cruelty didn't exist, but it wasn't the, necessarily the common practice. Not all slaves in Rome, which by the way, just remember, Ephesus was a city of Rome. Not all slaves experienced harsh conditions or harsh masters. Uh, it kind of rose and fell based on whoever the master was. Some masters were very kind. They were very generous. They, they actually uh, allowed their slaves uh, the ability and the opportunity to prosper in great ways. Uh, many slaves uh, worked white-collar jobs, as we would call them today. They were bookkeepers and clerks. They were sometimes even bank managers and st stuff like that. And you're like, wow, okay, that's, that's not like just uh, going out into fields or mines and having to do hard manual labor. There were, there were different opportunities that were for them. And so just understanding a little bit of that difference Meaning also that Roman slavery wasn't necessarily a permanent position. Someone found themselves as a slave in Rome, they had good reason to anticipate their freedom within their own lifetime. Especially if you were a slave working in more of that, those white-collar jobs. You'd have a lot of opportunity to, to be promoted. You'd, you'd have great opportunity to uh, make a lot of money in some of those jobs where you could buy your own freedom. You could even become a partner in business with your master. So you think about your, your master uh, who owns you as a slave and you become a uh, rise to equal socioeconomic status with them. Sometimes slaves would buy out their masters. It's just different than the context that we would tend to think about. With that said... Slavery in Rome was a very popular thing. Some estimates say that about 35% of the Roman population found themselves as slaves. It's a huge portion. So it's no doubt that as Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, the church would find themselves with some slaves, some masters. What do you do with that? Could you start to imagine some of the just some of the natural questions that would come out uh, within the church as they're trying to wrestle with some of these things, especially when you're talking about, well, everybody is one in Christ, but he's my master. I'm his slave. What, what do I do with that? How do, how do I live out my faith in that context? When Paul's talking about there being neither slave nor free, male nor female, what, what, what does that mean? Why, why is... What are we getting to with that? You can start to imagine just some of the, the social structures that they're having to wrestle with and Paul's uh, kind of addressing here because slaves in the Roman context, they weren't just lesser than beings. They weren't looked down on. They were part of everyday life. 
There are people that you encountered as you went throughout your days. There are people you did life with. There were your neighbors. There, there are people. So how do, you, how do you do life in the church? When Christ has set us free, does that apply to my status as a slave as well? What do we do with some of these things? So we're going to uh, kind of dive into this this morning because as Paul addresses this, we're going to kind of see that in that context, Paul's not going to say, listen, as a believer, if you became a believer as a slave, now you can go to your master and say, hey, I've been set free by Jesus. I'm out of here. I want to go do my own thing. He says, no, you, you're now a believer who is to honor Christ where you are placed. Whether you're a slave, whether you're a master, you honor Christ where you are. Now that we can do something with. So no matter where you are at in life, you are to honor Christ where you are. If you are in high school, you are to honor Christ as a student in high school. If you own your own business, you are to honor Christ as a business owner. If you are farming, if you are an employee, if you are a teacher, if you are working a college job, whatever it is that you are doing, where you are at, God has called you to honor him as a believer where you are. That's important for us to grasp. So as we get into this, what we're going to do is kind of take this slave and master concept and translate it to us today. If you could, we might replace the term slave with employee. Okay? Now, I know some employees might feel like they're slaves. That's not what we're saying. Okay? Uh, some employers might feel like a master. That's also not what we're saying. But if you were to take the principles that Paul's talking about, these concepts that he is calling Christians to, and you apply the, the argument of the, le- the greater to the lesser, right? In essence, if these things are true for slaves and masters, the gap between employee and employer is a lesser gap. So how, much, uh, how confidently we could apply those same principles uh, to these relationships. So we're going to be spending some time this morning talking about us as believers and our calling in our vocational work, whatever that may be. Uh, however you may be employed, whether you're employing yourself, if you have employees or you find yourself employed by somebody else, what are we to do? How are we to go about being Christians where God has called us to be? And we're going to draw out a couple of principles that apply to both the employer and the employee. Because if you look at verse 9, Paul, after addressing the employees, says, Masters or employers do the same to them. Okay, so there's certain principles that we're going to see draw out of this that aren't just for the employee. They apply to both equally. And so let's dive into this, uh, looking at what a Christ-centered work ethic, a God-honoring work is concerned about. First and foremost, the first principle we're going to draw out of this is that God-honoring work is concerned with Christ being at the center Much of what we're going to say today is not going to be new, revolutionary ideas. You're probably going to have heard these things, but they are a good reminder for us. So right away, we see Paul addressing the slaves here, the employees, and he's saying, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Okay, now doesn't, it's, it's interesting to us that some, Paul is not going to say, hey, if your master is good to you, then obey them as you would obey Christ, because Christ is good to you. 
It says, obey your master as you would Christ. Okay, so that, that transcends the relationship that you have now just with your boss or your employer. So, okay, I am to bring the obedience, the same level of obedience that I would obey Christ, with the same respect, the same honor that I would obey him. I am going to work and obey my master in my workplace in the same way, with the same attitudes. Some of you guys uh, have your own businesses where you are kind of the sole employee. Maybe you have someone else working for you, and you work for your customers or your clients, and your clients become your boss. Some of you guys who are in school, right, your teachers are your masters, okay? So uh, you don't have to go to school tomorrow and call them master so-and-so, you know, but th- that's, that's who Paul is speaking to here. You guys, you're going to go to school and see your teachers or your coaches. Some of you guys may volunteer, whether here at the church or in other places. You work for these people, you labor for these people, but they aren't the ones you ultimately answer to. Christ is at the center of this all. The reason for this because within this context of first century slavery, it, was, it would have been common and expected that if slaves were to perform well, they might get promoted. If they executed their job with excellence, they might earn their freedom, which led themselves to suddenly slaves would at times just work to make their boss happy just work to make whoever was in charge of whatever they were doing pleased with them. And so it's interesting that you then get into verse 6 where Paul's saying, not by way of eye service. You're not just trying to please people here. We have to transcend this. We have to go beyond this. It's not just about getting something from your work. It's about who you're working for. And as a believer, Paul calls us to something greater than just the horizontal relationships that we see, which is really good for us to understand because if it's only depending on the people that we work for, then we might be able to justify how well or how well we don't work based on how picky the client is, how cruel or misunderstanding our boss is, how demanding they are, or how kind they are. Maybe we're going to work harder for the person who's nice to us and the person who goes above and beyond to care for us and is understanding of things. So we're going to work harder for that person than the person who's going to be a little pickier or the boss that just kind of puts us down or demands too much from us. And Paul said, as Christians, do better. Do better. Because you don't work for them. You do. But ultimately, you work for Christ. And by the way, While your boss may not always be looking, Christ is always aware of what you're doing. So you're not just working for them, you're working for Christ. It's not that the hard work doesn't matter. It's not that the trying to please your boss doesn't matter and going above and beyond and working hard or trying to pay such good attention to detail and excellence for your clients. Those things are good, but what's the motivation that lies behind it all? Is it just to get another job? Is it just to get a raise, to get a paycheck, or to honor Christ? To honor Christ. And the same thing, by the way, goes and applies to masters as well. Do the same, right? Their master, you'll notice verse 9, Paul saying, knowing that he who is both their master, speaking of the, the slaves or the servants or the employees, their master is Christ. And by the way, so is yours. So is yours. Your master is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. 
to say, I don't care what uh, your employment structure looks like. If you have busted your tail to run your own business, or if you are busting your tail in somebody else's business, at the end of the day, God is not going to come look down and say, okay, dude, you ran your own thing. That's great. You've got something that somebody else doesn't have now. I'm going to bestow a special grace on you. There's no partiality here. God looks at each of us one and the, sl- one and the same. Neither slaves nor free, remember? We're all one in Christ. Christ is at the center of our work ethic. We are to honor God in our jobs, honor God in our work. Always remember that you are working first and foremost for Christ. So you're doing your homework this week. You're not doing it for your teacher. You're doing it for Christ. When you're digging holes, you're doing it for for Christ. When you're building things, when you're teaching, when you're whatever it is you are finding your hands to do at work this week, you are doing it first and foremost for Christ. That, as your foundation, ought to change the work ethic that you bring to the job that you do. Secondly, God-honoring work is concerned with process over product. Process over product. We live today in a results-driven world. We value efficiency. We value productivity. We value the product. What can I offer? How well can I offer it to my client, to the customer? But Paul's emphasis for us as believers is that we should be more concerned with the process than just the product. What's the process that Paul's talking about? The process isn't the step-by-step, but the process is more concerned with the how versus the what. So you'll notice uh, Paul doesn't speak to slaves and masters here and say, Here's your, uh, here are your measurables for the next quarter of work. He doesn't say, here are your benchmarks, here's how many jobs to do, here's what level of excellence by which to do those jobs. He says, here's how you're supposed to work. Here's who you're supposed to be. And that's something that we can apply no matter where you're at. Okay, knowing that there's multiple different vocations. So look at, look at the things that Paul brings out here. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Right? Uh, Paul uses the same language in Philippians chapter 2, speaking to us, living out our faith. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you. So uh, again, as we talk about the fear of the Lord and we talk about these things, it's not so much a, a terror or a horror. Paul's not saying to slaves, be horrified of your master that he's going to beat you or he is going to punish you for something that you are doing. He's saying, respect them. Have a deep reverence. They are put in authority over you. Work out your faith in fear and trembling. Watch your step carefully. Honor God. He is at work within you. So we are to bring respect to our workplaces because that's what God has called us to because God is the one who we are ultimately answering to. Recognizing, as we talked about in a small group this week, that the authorities that have been placed over us in our lives are placed there by God. They don't just stumble into those positions. God is sovereign over all things, and so we trust him. We rely on him no matter what. So Christians are to have a deep and profound respect for their boss. If you're running your own business, do you respect your customers? Do you value them? 
If you're in school, are you respecting your teachers? Or are you blowing them off? Or are you talking poorly behind their backs? This might look like for us in in a practical way, doing things without grumbling. Not complaining at work. Not rolling our eyes and shrugging our shoulders and just, uh, just trying to get through the day. It's, it's bringing a, a, an energy in, to the, the job that you're doing because you're doing it diligently, because you care about what you're doing, because God has given you something to do with your hands. It's respecting people's time. It's respecting your time. It's giving your very best at whatever you are doing. Go 100%. Don't slack off. Don't talk about your boss behind their back or rag on your customers or or ridicule your teachers because you don't like them. We're called to do better. We're called to bring respect. We're we're called to bring honesty. Paul Paul talks about this, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. Kind of giving this picture of uh, kind of deceiving your boss. Right? You're not just doing it... uh, with ulterior motives. You'll see in there, in verse 6, he talks about this sincere heart. Some of you might have a translation that says singleness of heart. That literally means that, that when it comes to your motivations, you're not doing one thing with a, a hidden agenda sneaking in on the side. You're being genuine in what you're doing. You're being true to it wholeheartedly, as we're going to see a little bit down further in verse 7. We are to work with honesty, even if it costs you. And I've talked to plenty of you guys who, I'm going to commend you, you you've demonstrated this in your work. So, you know, owning it when times you've, uh, you've blown it, you've made a mistake, and it costs you to own that mistake, to do what's right, to not go and just uh, offload that onto a customer or to blame another employee that you work with, but to own it and be honest. It involves our, our diligence. In verse 6 there, uh, Paul speaks of the heart again, doing the will of God from the heart. But he uses actually in Greek a different word for heart than he does in verse 5. And, and this one conveys a similar nature but a little bit different. Sometimes referred to as the very breath of life or like life itself. You know, as if uh, it's used in the context, don't be anxious about your Life, you know, don't be anxious about your heart. You know, if we were to translate the same as in Ephesians chapter six, and it carries this implication of of the the wholeness of your soul that you're doing, you're working with your soul, doing the will of God. It's part of who you are, not just what you do. So, as believers who have been redeemed, as believers who have been made new in Christ. We are to work differently. We ought to work differently than the people around us. We don't use our freedom in Christ as an opportunity to be lazy in the workplace or to be slack, but it actually should be the reason that we outwork the people around us. That we are more diligent students, that we are more faithful employees that we are kinder bosses and employers because of what Christ has done to us. I used to have a coach in high school who used to always say, and maybe, maybe you know the saying, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing right, well, yes. You know, you don't just do a job half-heartedly, but you do the job right. 
no matter what you found yourself to do. Do the job right. God, brothers and sisters, is far more concerned with the intangibles as it comes to our work than the product. See, it doesn't take a degree, to be honest, in your workplace. It doesn't take skill to show up and work hard. It doesn't uh, require experience to respect the people that you work for or work with. Those are intangibles that any of us can do because we are in Christ. God is concerned more with the process than the product. And we have to remember that in the culture that we live in because if it's just about the product, if it's just about what we turn in, then essentially... Who cares how you get to that product as long as the product isn't harmed? So who cares if I lie, steal, cheat people, trample people, as long as the product is genuine? And God is saying, no, 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 no. As my people, it matters more about who you are. And I bet if you're more concerned with that, you're not going to have to worry a whole lot about the product. If you're working hard, if you're diligent, and you're honoring Christ, maybe the bottom line is going to take care of itself. Right? God is more concerned with the process than the product. Finally, a little bit, we're going to jump back a little bit. Uh, God is concerned with our, our consistency over our charm. Verse 6, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. That we are not inconsistent in our work, but that we bring consistency to what we are doing. That we don't act differently when the customer is around. We don't act differently when the boss is looking, when our teachers are over our shoulders. We have integrity in the workplace. We have integrity with where God has called us to be. We're consistent. We're not just trying to charm people into uh, finagling our way into a better position in life. God's caring about our character. Now, there's a story about a, a man who uh, was living near an area where they were putting a, a mall up. They were starting to build a new wa- a mall uh, just outside of where, where his home was. And he was intrigued to kind of watch the process and see uh, what was going on. He was especially intrigued at watching the excavator work. Now, Pete, this would be Pete 100%. He thinks excavators are the coolest thing in the world. Um, loves So this guy, is, he goes out to the, the construction site each day, and he's just kind of watching, just amazed at how man and machine are one. And the, the guy's working so smooth, and everything's just going so so great. It's so neat for him to just watch. He admires the work that's being done until finally the, the excavator's job is about done on the, the project and the, the guy has a chance to go speak to the operator and he goes up and just starts gushing saying how, how you've done such a wonderful job. It's so impressive. And in the course of the conversation, the, the guy realizes what, he's like, wait a minute. You mean to tell me you're not the supervisor of this job? He's like, no, I just, I live over there. I just like watching. And he's like, ah, you know, all along I thought you were the supervisor trying to make sure I was doing good work. And so he's, he's busting his tail trying to do great because somebody's watching him. And that's not what we're called to as believers. It's a funny story and we laugh at it, but if we're really honest, it might hit a little bit closer to home than we like to admit. That might be an extreme example, like, okay, that's a great story to share, but 
Have you ever worked differently because someone was watching? You ever tempted to be more diligent because you've got eyes on? Customers in the house, teachers back in the room, principals in the classroom monitoring, evaluating. The boss drives up to the job. Oh, guys, get your tools. We got to look like we're doing something. Be consistent in your work. Do you work the same way when it's just you as if there are a hundred other people around? Do you strive for the same level of excellence even if nobody else is going to see that little attention to detail that's going to get covered up by drywall? We ought to be consistent in our work because at the end of the day, the foundation for all of it, Christ is at the center. So this week, whatever you find yourself doing, whether in your home, in your workplace, in school, whatever you find yourself doing, remind yourself of that truth. Christ is at the center of my work. And that ought to transform the way that you approach the job that you have been given. No matter what it may be. No matter how hard you have to work. You're honoring Christ. And for me, not only does that influence the way I'm going to do things, but it also impacts my attitude towards it. Because no longer is work just something I got to do. It's not just another Monday morning. It's not the start of just another work week. These are opportunities to honor Christ. Opportunities to take the skills, opportunities to take the energy, opportunities to take who I am that God has made me and use those things to serve Him so that I might be the best employee that I can be. Not because I'm working for the church, because I'm working for Christ. That you might be the best manager that you could be this week. Not because you're working for the company, because you're working for Christ. You might be the best student that you can be this week. Not because you just need to get an A, because you're working for Christ. You're the best teacher that you can be this week. Not just because the principal's there, because you're working for Christ. Jesus has transformed our vocation. We're starting to see, and we've seen as Paul has addressed these things, this new life that we have in Christ isn't just something that impacts some people. It isn't something that just impacts some areas of our life. It impacts all of us as we engage with culture. It it's a call to transform our lives, husbands, wives, children, parents. It involves our workplace. If you find yourself as a new creation in Christ, God is at work and desiring to change every component of your life. Your faith in following Him isn't just something to apply when it's convenient or when it's easy. 
It's something that impacts every area of our lives. There's no compartments to life, sacred and secular. There is your life lived for Christ, no matter what it may be, no matter what area you're in, no matter what time, no matter how you're feeling. Every breath is an opportunity to praise Christ. Every moment is an opportunity to honor him. Every conversation, every drop of sweat for Christ and his glory above all things. So let's go this week, and I know tomorrow's Monday, and we had a lot of threes, a couple ones, maybe a few fours, and one five. Let's go this week, and let's have Christ change our attitude toward our work. Let's embrace the week that's been given to us with an opportunity to serve and honor. So no matter what number you put up, and maybe if your number was a little bit lower, you got some heart work to do with the Lord today. All right, Lord, you've put another week before me. Change my attitude. Let me see this as an opportunity to honor you with the people I work with. Let me see this as an honor, opportunity to honor you in the way I respond to my boss or as the way that I am a boss. That you might receive glory in all that I say and all that I do.